Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Nice to see you. My name is Darren. I'm one of the shepherds on staff. Excited about opening God's word with you and continuing our study. Uh, if you're a guest with us, I know you've already been welcome, but let me just add my welcome and my greeting. I'm very glad you're here. And as you're sort of figuring out where you fit, and hopefully this feels like a place where you could be family, I'm happy to help in that process at all. If there's a conversation to be had or a cup of coffee to be shared or whatever, let me know. Before we dive into our study this morning, I will say we're in the midst of a series called Who We Are. So if you're a guest, you're picking a great time to jump in with us because we're sort of articulating in defining. For those of us who are family around here, uh, it's a re-articulation of things that may even feel a little redundant in the best way. But for those who are guests or people who are coming in new, it's a great chance to understand like who do we see ourselves as and what is it that we're doing in this place. So it's a great great time for you to be here. As we dive in though, I want to play a little game with you. So when you came in, I think they gave you a note card maybe like a blank piece of paper. If they didn't, if you came in one of the side doors, you might have to find a piece of scratch paper or whatever. Here's where you start. I want you to uh, put your name on there and some way I can get a hold of you. It could be an email address or a phone number because you might be the winner of the game and I'm going to need to be able to get a hold of you and tell you you're the winner. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Then after you put your name and a way I can get a hold of you, number one through 11. So some of you may know this and some of you may not, but a little over a year ago, uh, we here at Fullerton Free started putting out these... Um, these stickers, like these fun little stickers, they're usually over on the counter at the coffee shop. They're free. Nobody has to pay for them. But they're just uh, little stickers that kind of represent our church. They've got the Fullerton Free logo, the FF logo on them, whatever. We only print 100 of each one of those, so they're limited edition. If you get one, you kind of got to get there early and grab it because once they're gone, they're gone. But uh, I, whether you know that or not, we've been doing this. and I, So we're going to do a little game to see if you can identify uh, the uh, 11 of those stickers, right? Does that make sense? So here's the first one. I'm going to give this one to you. Everybody in the room gets one freebie at least. The first one looks like this uh, right there. So that's what the first sticker looked like. And you can see the Fullerton Free logo there in the center. But what you might be able to tell is that it's also what? It's... French fries. Good. Oh, you're really good at this game. Nice work. Nice work. So that one's an easy. Everybody gets number one right. French fries, right? Let me show you the second one. I'm not going to give you any clues. See if you can figure this one out. Uh, there we go. Don't call it out. You don't want the person next to you to win the prize. You write it down. What do you think this is? By the way, the prize for winning this game. We're going to take uh, whoever gets the most of these right. We're going to take those cards. We're going to put them into a drawing. I have actually set aside an entire collection of all of these stickers up to now. So some of these you can't get anymore. I have one for the winner. So I'm going to give you a full set of all these stickers uh, if you win the contest. So there's number two. Number three. This one's hard. This is probably the hardest one. If you can figure this one out, then you're really, you're thinking well, right? This is a tricky one. This was also a very big sticker. So it was like a little, it was hard to figure out where to put it because it was kind of, it was like this size. Okay, number four, we're moving quick. Well, this is a cute one. I've actually seen this one on, I think Jeff Lilly has this on his phone case. So if you've seen Jeff Lilly's phone case, you've seen this one. Uh, all right, next. All right. Got, you got some guesses? No? All right, it's fine. Don't call it out. It's fine. Let's do the next one. Here we go. Keep going. All right. That one's not too hard. Next one. Oh, I'll give you this one, okay? This, uh, here's another freebie. Everybody in the room gets two right. Flip-flops. That's that, that one. Flip-flops, yeah. So look out. See how helpful I am? People, I'm so helpful. Okay. Next, we've only got a few more. Ooh, you might have had this for breakfast today. So that'll be an easy one if you did. Maybe. All right. Let's go again. Oh, listen, 
Don't give me a hard time about copyright on this, by the way. Don't give me a hard time. It was, uh, this was a suggestion of Miriam Moeller, who works uh, as one of our ministry assistants. And I was like, that's too good to pass up. So we did it. But I did not get permission from the Dodgers organization. So don't blame me on that. Next one. Oh, I actually think this one is currently in the guest package. You know when we say, hey, if you're a guest, we have a gift for you, a cup of coffee and whatever. I think this sticker is currently in that. So some of you, if you got one of those today, you got one of those in your packet, I think. All right, let's do the next one. Ooh, uh, this is the sticker actually that's being offered right now in the well. And it's, uh, it's, it glows in the dark. So if you manage to get your hands on one of those, it's kind of fun. Take it into the bathroom and close the door with the lights off. I don't know, whatever. You can take it wherever you want. Next one. Oh, that's it. We're done. Okay, that's all. So there's one through 11. We're not going to go back through if you didn't see it. I told the people in the first service, if you didn't see them all, you can come back to the second service and then get another shot. But for you guys, that was your one chance to get these things right. So fill it out. Make your best guesses where you think all these stickers are. At the end of the service on your way out at the connect wall, they've got two yellow baskets. You can drop your guess in there and then we will draw from the best answers. We will draw a winner who will get a full set of the, uh, the sticker collection going forward. So uh, all of that to say, I chose this to kind of start today because what we're going to talk about today is the way that Christ is revealed by us. And one of the things I like about these stickers is that they're all unique. They're a little different. They're not all the same. Some of them are a little weird, kind of hard to figure out, but they all at some level represent the same thing. And when we talk about the body of Christ, when we talk about the unity that we have in our diversity, you look at a room like this, you think about a church like Fullerton Free, None of us are the same. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different perspectives. We all have experienced different things. We have different opinions on things. We look a little different and we think a little different and we've been different places. And yet we all represent Christ. There is something that unifies us. Even in our diversity, there is a sense in which we're united around some central things. In the midst of our Who We Are series, we've said a couple of times already, Fullerton Free Church exists to reveal Christ, full stop. Like that's what we're doing here. If you're trying to think like, what's this church all about? The revelation of Christ is what we're after. And, and then in the last couple of Sundays, we've talked about the idea that we see that happening in three dimensions. So we see that happening as Christ reveals himself to us, and that happens through his word, it happens through community, it happens through worship, it happens through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, happens through uh, being in the fellowship of other believers, but we see Christ as the catalyst for revealing himself to us, and then as Christ is revealed to us, what we talked about last week is that Christ then is revealed in us, not only that we personally are being conformed to the image of Christ, that over time all of us are growing to be more like Jesus by his power, but that there's something supernatural and really beautiful also about the way in which Christ is revealed in our community, that the church collectively is also a, a display case for the glory of God, that Jesus resides, re, uh, resides not only in me individually, but that there's this beautiful sort of mystical way in which God resides in his church, right? So Christ revealed to us, Christ revealed in us, and then the natural extension of that is that Christ is revealed by us. Now with the first two, we were really careful to say in those weeks that that's not really something you do. Like you don't do Christ revealed to you. That's the thing he does, right? And Christ revealed in you, that's the thing he does. Again, it's by his power that it happens. This morning as we talk about the revelation of Christ by us, it is still true that that's a work that Christ does 
in us, and we'll talk about that as we get further in, but I do want to say here that there is a mistake sometimes that Christians make when they sort of opt out of any doing, right? Because we are a people who firmly believe that we are saved by grace, right? So one of the core tenets of our faith is that we believe salvation comes by the grace of God through faith. It's the gift of God, it says in Ephesians 2, not of works, right? It's not about our striving, it's not about our good deeds, it's not about all the, the good things that we've done or all the things that we know. We are saved by the grace of God. And in the affirmation of being saved by the grace of God, sometimes what happens is we can watch the pendulum swing to the far side where we go, I'm saved by the grace of God, and therefore what I do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do or how I live. Well, we want to be really careful that we don't let our pendulum swing that far, because while our actions don't do anything to save us, and while our actions don't increase our favor with God or increase our standing before Jesus or whatever, our actions are still important. And it's important to understand that Jesus himself was very clear in articulating expectations. Not that we would do the things he commands in order to be loved by him, but rather that in response to his love, which is a gift of his grace, we would want to live a different kind of life. Does that make sense? So this morning as we talk about Christ revealed bias, we're not talking about doing something obligatorily or out of duty or in some way trying to gain God's favor, but what we are saying is that if you're a person in this church, if you, if you consider Fullerton Free your church home and you're a follower of Jesus, what that means is that there is an expectation from Jesus himself that you would live a different way because of the work that he's done in you. And he articulates that in a lot of different places. Uh, one of those sort of most famously, and we'll look at this in a second, is called the Great Commission. That one you might be really familiar with. We're going to actually look at several places where we see a commission from Jesus, right? And these aren't exclusive. These aren't the only places he does this, but they're kind of the the main ones I want us to look at this morning. When you think about a commission, right? When you think about the Great Commission, that is Jesus giving us a command or setting an expectation. But in our regular lives, we don't necessarily use the word commission that often. It's not a word that's a usual practice for us, except you will occasionally hear of people who are commissioning a portrait or commissioning a piece of art, commissioning a painting. It's interesting, when you think about the commissions of Christ, the places where he gives us commandments, it's actually really interesting to think of it in terms of commissioning a portrait Because what we understand in Jesus' commissions is that that is essentially what he's doing. When he gives us a commandment or when he places an expectation, in every case what he's doing is trying to create in us, both individually and corporately, a reflection of himself. He's trying to create a self-portrait in his body, the church. Trying to create a a recreation, a commissioning. This last week we did... uh, on Friday night, we had this great event out here in the Breezeway with all of the artists that were commissioned to do these murals, right? So if you've walked down the Breezeway, you've seen these different murals. And each one of the artists was able to get up and was able to talk about their inspiration, how God had moved in them, what materials they used, what the process was like, what they learned. It was an amazing night. But each one of those pieces was commissioned by our church and then produced by an artist. And it is a reflection of what God is doing in each of those artists. Jesus gives us his commission because he wants us to create and recreate his image in our world, right? So let's look at four of these in the time we have this morning and just kind of walk through them. This is Jesus giving us his expectation. First, we'll start in John 20 which I know we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but it's one of my favorites, so let's go there again. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John 20. I'll give you the setting. Uh, This is on Easter night, right? So Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rose again, and on that Sunday morning, some of his friends went to his tomb, and it was empty. You've probably heard that story before. 
on that night, what a lot of people don't know, is that Jesus' disciples, you'd think they'd be throwing a party on Easter Sunday night. Instead, what John tells us is that they were hunkered down in fear behind locked doors, huddled together because they were afraid that they also would be killed, right? And Jesus, it says in John 20, he arrives. It doesn't say he walks into the room. It says he appears among them, right, past the locked door, and he gives them one of these commissions, right? Here's what, here's what happens. John 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you, or shalom. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where his scars were. And his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. He repeats the word shalom to them. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Think about what that means, right? Jesus looks at them and he says, in the same way that I was sent, now you are sent, right? I don't want to see you huddled down in this room all hunkered together and behind a locked door. I want you out of here. I want you to go out into the places where you go and I want you to take this story with you. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Essentially, Jesus breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, which they will receive. Acts tells us uh, in a few days from this time. And he says to them, where you take this message of reconciliation, where you take this message of forgiveness, that's where it's go. That's where it will go. And if you hunker down behind a locked door and you choose not to articulate this to anybody else, then the message won't travel anywhere else because you are my intended vehicle to communicate this message of grace to the world. He says, as I was sent, so you've been sent. So the first thing I want you to see is when we talk about being a church that wants Christ to be revealed by us, we don't do that because we just sort of all put a hand in together and said, like, what should we do with our time? Or what should our church be about? Jesus himself looks at the first disciples and he says, I'm handing you the baton. The baton that the Father handed to me, right? And Jesus tells us a little bit about his mission in verses like Luke 4. In Luke 4, Jesus picks up a scroll. Verse 18, he reads the scroll. It's uh, out of Isaiah. Jesus says of himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says of himself, I've been sent by God to preach deliverance and freedom, right? To set captives free and to liberate those who are oppressed. And now he says to the disciples and us by extension in John chapter 20, that same mission that the Father gave to me, I'm now handing off to you. You get to be the ones to declare this mission of, this mission of freedom. You get to be the ones to declare the message of reconciliation and peace and freedom, right? It's a great gift that God would give this to us. That Jesus would say, I want you to continue the thing I'm doing. But it's important for you to know that when he sends us and we as a church are sent people, not just sent uh, by one another, right? We are sent by Jesus himself, that when he sends us, he does so in the spirit in which he also was sent. We're sent like Jesus was sent. It's interesting, in John 5, Jesus will talk about the fact that he doesn't do what he wants to do. He just doesn't do whatever he wants or anything in his own power. He says, everything I do, I do because I've seen the Father doing it, and I don't do anything unless the Father leads me, right? That's the way he's calling us to be sent. 
At the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is talking to, well, it's not the very end, but at the, uh, more toward the middle of the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus in chapter 19, uh, he says this about himself. Again, he says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So in John chapter 20, when Jesus looks at us and the disciples and says, as God sent me, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, what he's saying is, I'm giving you this incredible opportunity to be the ones who get to give the good news, Right? It's not a burden, it's not some sort of duty, it's not an oppressive responsibility. Have you ever been in a position where you're able to, I mean, in a couple of days, I'm gonna get to be the one to tell somebody they want a bunch of stickers for free. That's gonna feel really good, right? Have you ever been in a position to tell somebody they got a new job or that they got a raise? Have you ever been in a position to tell somebody they got approved to buy the house they wanted to buy? Where you get to be the bearer of the good news? This is the best news in the history of the world. And Jesus could have held it all to himself. He could have said, no, I want to deliver this all by myself. And what he says instead is, I got kind of a cool thing that you're going to get to do. You get to tell other people what I came here for, right? As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We are sent with Jesus' mission. It's why around here, we talk a lot about ambassadorship. In fact, when I think about the church, I don't think about a building. I don't think about a religious organization. I think of the church as an embassy, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says really clearly we've been appointed as ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Again, he's letting us communicate the good news. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those of us who are followers of Jesus have been appointed as ambassadors. It's not a thing you sign up for. It's not a thing you volunteer to do. It's a thing Jesus assigns, which means we don't have to come up with the message. We don't have to come up with the audience. We don't have to figure out where to take this thing. An ambassador takes the king's message to the king's audience, right? The goal for the ambassador is just to deliver it with clarity, right? We are ambassadors. This place is an embassy of the kingdom of God. When we have neighbors that come onto our campus to play pickleball or to get a cup of coffee or whatever, when we have people from the city of Fullerton and Brea and La Habra and these other places where they come here or they interact with us, it should be like they're entering into foreign soil, a place where a different king is on the throne, where a different way of living and thinking and loving is on display. We want to be a place, not just physically, but in our engagement with the world where we are putting Jesus on display. It's why when we talk about the Great Commission or we talk about the commissions of Jesus, what he is commissioning is a portrait of himself in us, through us. He's saying, put me on display. And we've talked before about the fact that the image of Christ is sometimes distorted, it's sometimes manipulated. I, uh, I had a, an event to go to last night. I came home kind of late, and uh, I always print out my notes the, you know, the night before, and they're sitting on my reading table there by my bed kind of. And I came in, I'm getting ready for bed, and I noticed that my son Will had drawn a picture on the back of my notes. You can't see it from there, but I'll show it to you in a second. He drawn a picture on the back of my notes, and the picture basically came because he and I have been in kind of a two-week-long conversation. My son Will really wants to get Snapchat, right? Which, for some of you, don't know what that is. For some of you, it's a it's a social media thing, and and you don't have to tell me the pros and cons. I've I've looked at it all. 
Anyway, he really wants Snapchat, and I've kind of been undecided. I came in, and I looked on the back of my sermon notes. By the way, my sermon today is called A Commissioned Portrait. I look on the back of my sermon notes, and my son Will has drawn this. It's actually a pretty good drawing, right? It's actually a pretty, it's not too bad. That actually looks like me. And, uh, and Jesus, in case you can't read it where you're at, Jesus is saying, you should let Will have Snapchat, which I'm not sure is an accurate representation of the sentiment of Jesus, but you got to give him an E for effort, right? At the very least, like there's credit for going that for Take that thing away. That's fine. Uh, Jesus commissions his portrait in us, right? He commissions his portrait in us. And sometimes the way in which we put that portrait on display, it doesn't look a lot like Jesus. Sometimes we mar that image. There are many people today who are choosing to opt out of church or opt out of following Jesus at all, not because of who Jesus is, but because of the way Jesus has been represented. Sometimes the way we represent Jesus has to do with our own agendas and our own ideas, right? And what we're trying to do at Fullerton Free is to be his ambassadors, to put his message on display, to reveal him. Now, let's look at another passage just to reinforce this idea. First, we are sent like he is sent. But let's also look at Luke 24. Luke 24 is another one of these places where Jesus gives instruction. We read it at the beginning of the service. And in Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection. By the way, getting these sequentially is kind of tricky because of the way the Gospels are laid out. But they're semi-sequential. In Luke 24, Jesus has appeared to some people after the resurrection, and then he appears to the disciples and he says this. He says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You're witness of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, that's the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's very interesting. In Luke 24, Jesus tells them, I am the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy. What you were waiting for in a Messiah, I am him. So all this stuff has just occurred. It's just like I told you. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures, and then he says, the, the goal here is to articulate, right? If you're the kind of person who takes notes in 47, I would encourage you to underline or to circle where it says, should be proclaimed. What Jesus says here, thus, is it, thus it's written that Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead, he's already done those things, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. So secondly this morning, what I want you to see is not only does Jesus send us like he sent, but he sends us with a ministry of proclamation, now, if you're an introvert or you're a shy guy or whatever, the ministry of proclamation is a little nerve-wracking because maybe what you're thinking is what I'm doing right now. But not everybody proclaims like this. In fact, not everybody should proclaim like this. There are probably days you think I shouldn't proclaim like this, right? Proclamation doesn't mean public preaching necessarily. It doesn't mean taking a soapbox down to the beach and standing on it and shouting through a megaphone. Proclamation is simply recognizing that God wants us to clearly articulate the truth of who he is. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I want you to know that I'm the fulfillment of the prophecies. I want you to know that I died for the sins of the world and I rose from the dead. He doesn't just say, hey, I want you to know that you've been forgiven through repentance. He says, I want you to proclaim all those things, right? I want you to declare them. So there's something about Christ revealed by us that is declarative. It is outward facing. 
It isn't just us holding on to these truths. It's why we don't, we're not just focused on making people who understand a, a certain set of doctrines, right? I talk a lot about the fact that there's never gonna be a cosmic theology test that God's gonna give you. We're not as interested in people who know the right things as we are in people who follow Jesus, right? And that sort of brings me to my third point this morning. Before I get there, I wanna get ahead of myself. In this second one, as he's saying, I want to declare these, declare these things, there is a message of repentance in the midst of this declaration. So we're not even just declaring freedom and sight to the blind and peace to those who have been oppressed, but what we're declaring is that you can have redemption, forgiveness of sins, but it comes through a turning, right? And sometimes that's a hard message to proclaim to other people, that they have to repent or that they have to turn from their old way of life. And yet the ground upon which we build that platform to have that conversation is that we also have to repent, right? There is solidarity among our human brothers and sisters in that all of us are busted. One of the things we talk about here a lot, kind of one of our value pillars, um, is the idea, I'll give you the first two, the idea of radiant peace, right, rooted in confident expectation. That is that we can live a life that radiates the peace of God because we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that confident expectation in who Jesus is and what he has promised allows us to not only to be people of peace, but to pour that peace into the life of others. But the second value pillar we talk about here a lot is the idea of revolutionary kindness rooted in humble solidarity. And revolutionary kindness is the kind of kindness that's not just being nice to people, but it's the kind of kindness that changes lives, right? And that kindness comes when we recognize, the light bulb comes on, that everybody we know and everybody we've met and everybody we ever will meet is just like us in that they're needy and they're broken. They need a redeemer. They need a community. They need love, right? All of those things come from recognizing the lack in ourselves and our solidarity with our fellow human beings. So Jesus, yes, he says, proclaim a message of repentance. But that message is a joy to bring when you're not saying to somebody else, you need to repent and your life needs to change and you need to clean up your act and you need Jesus. It's much more more joyful and revolutionary when we can bring the message to say, I needed to repent and I needed to be transformed and I was desperately broken and Jesus rescued me, right? That's what Jesus is encouraging. The things that have happened in your life, declare them to others. So first, we're sent like Jesus is. Second, we are called to proclaim. We're called to declare the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Thirdly and famously, look with me at Matthew 28. This is what they call the Great Commission. I wouldn't say it's any more great than the other commissions or anything else that Jesus teaches, but it's got that title, so you know what we're talking about. The Great Commission goes like this. Uh, right before Jesus is about to ascend, he's got his disciples together. Matthew 28, verse 18, here's what he says to them. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of this will feel a little redundant to you because once again, he's telling them to go. He's sending them, right? Once again, he's telling them they need the power of him and the power of his spirit. I love the fact that this is a little bit of a sandwich that Jesus leads by saying, I got all the power and he finishes the Great Commission by saying, I'm going to be with you always. Those are two great promises, right? That the power is his and his presence is ours. He's going to be with us. Literally, you can put anything else you want between those two affirmations and they become doable. Once Jesus says, I got all the power, if he had said in the middle of that thing, hey, I want you to ride your bicycle to Hawaii, you know what you'd be capable of doing? 
riding your bicycle to Hawaii. If he's got all the power and he's with you always, there isn't anything that comes in the middle of that that can't be accomplished. Importantly, he doesn't ask us to ride our bikes to Hawaii. He says instead, go into the world and make disciples. Here's my third point this morning. Jesus not only sends us like he is sent, he not only calls us to proclaim the message of repentance and forgiveness of sin, but he also calls us to make disciples. Disciples is a weird word, but it means a follower. And this kind of goes to the point I was making a second ago. What we're not endeavoring to do here at Fullerton Free is just get people who believe the right stuff. Right? If I were to hand out a test to figure out what you believe about Jesus, it's not enough to simply believe the right things about Jesus. It's not enough to simply believe the right things about the Bible or to know lots of Christian history or whatever. What Jesus was aiming at was not a bunch of people who believe the right things. What Jesus was aiming at was a bunch of people who believe the right things and that belief is then a catalyst to action, to followership. He says, go into the world and make disciples. Note here that Jesus' view is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the people in his little crowd. It's not just for the people who are, you know, sort of their friends and family. He starts at the center, and this is true in Luke also. He starts at Jerusalem, and that's just the epicenter of the way in which this thing spreads. Jesus is saying, as you live your life and as you go and wherever you go, be looking for the opportunity to create followers of me disciples of me, people who will be baptized. That's solidarity with his death and resurrection and will be obedient to the things I've commanded. Jesus is calling us as a church not just to find people who know a lot of stuff about Jesus or know a lot of things about the Bible, but people who are actually following him, right? It means sacrifice. It means service, right? We don't have to die for the sins of the world. Jesus already did that. You probably will not ever be called in your life to lay down your life for someone else physically to where you were alive and now you're dead. That happens occasionally, but it's not common. But you and I are called on a regular basis to be laying ourselves down in the spirit of Christ, making sacrifices that put Jesus on display to call other people to follow. It's interesting, even when we talk in this context, we'll talk about service. So Mitch got up a few minutes ago and talked about service opportunities. We're not all gonna serve in the same way. We don't have the availability to serve at the same time and in the same way. We don't all have the same gifts. Not all of you are gonna be able to teach four-year-olds and not all of you are gonna be able to serve at the beach. It's not about us all doing the same thing, but it is about us all recognizing that the call to serve and to sacrifice is a part of putting Jesus on display. So you don't have to serve exactly like the person next to you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you absolutely have to be serving, right? It's the same thing when we talk about the offering, when we talk about financial giving. Not everybody in the room is gonna be able to give the same thing financially because you're at different stages of life, you have different pressures, different needs, there are all kinds of different things going on in your life. Not everybody's gonna be able to give the same dollar amount, but listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in this place, you don't have to give the same dollar amount as the person next to you, but you should be giving sacrificially, right? Whatever that looks like for you. If you're a college student, you're barely trying to figure out how to put ramen on the table, right? Sacrifice for you will look different than it does for somebody else whose business is blowing up. But sacrifice is not something you can opt in and out of. All of us sacrifice, all of us serve, but we do so in the uniqueness of who God made us to be. And then that brings me to the idea of circles, right? We talk about circles around here a lot. And as I'm talking about going and making disciples, I, I'm guessing some of you maybe start to feel a little rising panic because you don't think of yourself as a public speaker, you don't think of yourself as an extrovert, you don't wanna be the kind of person who's handing out a four spiritual laws tract or whatever. Listen, we believe in this church and we believe there's good biblical background for this, basis for it, that God has created each one of us uniquely 
He created me uniquely to be able to do the things I do, and also he has placed around me a unique circle of people that I am more fit and capable of influencing than you are, right? I am more fit and capable of influencing my circle than you are, and the same thing is true for you. Each and every one of us in the room have been created uniquely. You do unique things, you see the world in a unique way, you come from an interesting background and perspective, you have different gifts, God created us in diversity. Remember the illustration of the stickers at the very beginning. We're all different, but we represent the same things, right? And it can look different in the lives of different people. The great thing about God is that he gives you a circle of people around you that are exactly the right people to be impacted by who he's uniquely made you to be. And that circle can change over time. If you're a college student who's come to Southern California for school, but you're actually from Iowa, you had a circle in Iowa, and you're going to have a circle here in town before too long. If you're a person who's lived in Fullerton forever, you probably got a bunch of people around you that have been around you forever, but I truly believe that God's going to bring new and different people into your life, Christians and non-Christians, that you can influence towards discipleship. That's what it means when we talk about circles. Have your radar up to understand how you're uniquely built to have a unique impact on a unique group of people that God uniquely places in your life. It's different than my circle, right? God brings something to each of us, an opportunity for us to be making disciples, a prophetic engagement rooted in demonstrable faith is the way we'll talk about that, living a life that puts Jesus on display. And then lastly, also semi-famously in Acts the disciples ask Jesus if he's going to put the kingdom into place, right? This is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says this in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here in another one of Jesus' commissionings of this self-portrait, he talks specifically about the power of the Holy Spirit. I hinted at this at the very beginning, but two weeks ago we said, Christ revealed to you, God does that, right? God reveals himself to you. Last week we said, Christ revealed in you, God does that, right? You abide in him and he reveals himself in you and in us. This week, Christ revealed by you, God does that. If you're here this morning and you're feeling panicky or you're feeling like, oh man, I'm not a good evangelist, this is not my jam, I don't want to be declaring repentance to people, like that does not feel like my thing. Listen, God never expected for you to do that in your own strength and in your own energy. He never expected you to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and just make it work. What he says again and again, and by the way, it's been in all four of the texts we've looked at today, is that it's by his power these things get done. Here in Acts, he says it really explicitly. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you, and when he does, you'll be my witnesses. Not before, right? In the passage in Luke we looked at, he said, just stay in the city until the thing my father promised you comes, right? You don't have to do this in your own strength. It's not your own fuel cells that'll make it happen. It's the Spirit of God that reveals himself by us and in us and to us. This is good news for you that are worried about your past or you're worried about uh, your communication skills or you're worried about being a shy guy or whatever. Remember um, in Exodus, I love the passage in Exodus chapter four where God says to Moses, hey, I want you to go to uh, Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to set my people free. And Moses is like, uh, what if he doesn't believe me? But they kind of have a little bit of a dialogue. But ultimately, if you read in Exodus chapter four, Moses finally goes, uh, you know, God, I'm not a great speaker, right? And some theologians think maybe he had some kind of a speech impediment or whatever. But Moses says to God, I don't talk so well. I've never been very eloquent. And it's almost like God chuckles in Exodus four. He goes, yeah, I know 
I made your head, dummy, right? He doesn't call him a dummy. That's my, that's my translation. But he looks at Moses and he says, who made your mouth and who gave you speech? Moses is going, I, I, I don't talk so well. And God goes, I know, I built you. I know what you're capable of. I know what you can do and what you can't do. It's not gonna be about you, Moses. It's gonna be about me on display in you. As, as a church, we, we're discussing the idea of who we are and who we are is a church that wants to be a people where Christ is revealed not only to us and in us, but absolutely revealed by us. Not because we decided that, but because Jesus decided. Let me finish with two last things. What I'm not trying to do this morning is make you feel guilty. This isn't a guilt message. It's not a shame message. I'm not looking at you going like, you should be a better evangelist, right? It's not that. I don't think that's a good motivator. I think the motivator to be ambassadors is to be excited about being appointed to be the ones to communicate good news. Like, what a gift, right? I don't think it's shame and guilt. But I also want to say this. I am also this morning not presenting you with some options that you can choose. Jesus didn't invite us to be his ambassadors. He didn't invite us to proclaim the truth. He didn't invite us to put him on display. He didn't ask us if we were interested in in producing a portrait of him in our world. What he did is he commanded us. So on one hand, I don't want you to feel shame and guilt but I do want you to feel a sense of responsibility because Jesus didn't say, hey, would you like to be my ambassador? What he said is, if you're my follower, this is what it looks like. If you're my follower, this is what it looks like. You'll be empowered by my spirit to be my witnesses, right? You will go from the place you're at and on and on and on and on making disciples, followers of me by the spirit's power. When we talk about who we are as a church, we wanna be a church that is absolutely a spirit-empowered, gospel-centered, equal opportunity disciple maker sent by Jesus to intentionally reveal him in our circle and beyond. That's who we want to be. And the great news, if you feel nervous, you can't do it, is you're right, you can't do it. All you have to do is be open and willing to let the spirit of God's power move in you to accomplish the thing that he commissioned in you at the outset. Would you pray with me? God, do this in us, we pray. I know that there are probably varying degrees of response in a room like this, people who feel nervous, people who feel excited, and some of that just has to do with the way you built us and the way you wired us. I pray that you would work in this moment universally across the room, that no matter how you wired us or how we respond to the idea of being proclaimers of your truth, that we would also find rest and comfort in knowing that that's your work in us and not our own effort that we draw near to you and you produce this, but that you absolutely have placed this expectation that you have commissioned your portrait in us. And we get to set the table for that. We love you, we need you, we can't live without you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.